My name's Phil, and I'm one of the elders of the church, and uh, you join us in our second week of four going through the book of Acts. We're doing like a big picture overview of the book of Acts. And so uh, I'm not going to start by reading a particular passage, that's how we normally do it, but as we go, we're going to read some bits. Um, so if you want to find the book of Acts in your Bibles, and uh, you'll want page 1100, that's where we're going to be starting. So last week we did chapters 1 to 6, and we saw um, as the risen Jesus um, commissioned his, his apostles, his, his disciples, to go out and proclaim the word. And they were empowered by the Spirit, and the church is empowered by the Holy Spirit to speak about Jesus, to speak the good news. The good news that Jesus came, he lived, he died, he rose, and he ascended, and now he reigns. Jesus is active. I'm going to see a lot of Jesus being active today, okay? And the big thing that we saw was the spread of the word, the unstoppable spread of this word. Today we're going to do roughly Acts chapter 7 to 12. So quite a few bits, all right? But to help us through this afternoon, we need the help of my friend Scaredy Squirrel. Um, Scaredy Squirrel is a, a character in a children's book which we love in my household, okay? So let me tell you about Scaredy Squirrel. Basically, Scaredy Squirrel is a highly introverted squirrel um, who likes everything to go exactly according to plan. Bit of a hypochondriac, likes to avoid germs, um, but also piranhas and Godzillas and things like that. So this is, he has a lot of worries on his mind, does Scaredy Squirrel. In fact, uh, the, in his own words on his own website, um, his name is Scaredy Orville Squirrel, initials SOS. Uh, he likes protective gear, schedules, plans, and safety guides. Dislikes danger, making eye contact, and germs, to name a few. Pet peeves, unknown stuff in general. And in these books, Scaredy Squirrel's adventures involve him making a highly detailed plan to do something. Like There's one where he, he makes a plan, he's going to go to the beach. And in his plan, he's thought of everything that's going to happen. He's got a life belt for swimming. He's got an eye patch to blend in in case there are pirates at the beach. Um, he's thought of everything that could, could go wrong, and he's made a plan for it. But when he gets to the beach, there's one thing he hadn't planned on being there. Other people. And Scaredy Squirrel doesn't do people. And you get this Scaredy Squirrel refrain that's in all of his books. That was not part of the plan. But then you know what? It turns out to be okay in every single one. So he, he makes a friend with a dog called Buddy. And, you know, it wasn't part of the plan to have other people and dogs and things, but it turned out okay in the end. I wonder if Scaredy Squirrel resonates with any of us. Yeah, there's some hands going up even. Wow. Um, I, basically, the author of the book is projecting <laughs> herself into this, this squirrel. Um, but a lot of us, you know, we like things to be just so. You know, we make our plan. We think of every contingency, and it's all laid out. And then something happens that was not part of the plan, and it freaks us out. And we have plans as Christians, maybe for our Christian lives, what it's going to look like. We're going to live in this place, we're going to do this thing, we're going to be at this church. And then something comes along that was not part of the plan. Ah, what do we do? Or maybe even together as a church family, we have our vision, a five-year vision and goals. And we make plans to do good ministry stuff. And we think, oh, you know, it's what God wants us to do. And then, bam, there's a spanner in the works that comes along that we didn't see. And it was not part of our plan. And it only takes six chapters in Acts, 
which, which accounts, the, accounts the early life of the church. Six chapter, chapters in the church is hit with three massive things that were not part of their plan. But each time we learn that it is part of God's plan and the result of what he's doing is more joy for more people. So let's have a look at the first unexpected thing that comes along. Persecution. Persecution was not part of the plan. I want to introduce you to um, Stephen in, um, in Acts. He's one of the church's greatest evangelists at the time, a man we're told is full of grace and power. He's performing wonders and signs. He speaks with wisdom that no one can beat. But Stephen was seized and brought before the religious court. And after give, having given this amazing speech showing how God's people always seem to reject God's messengers, well, let's see what happens to him. Let's have a look at Acts 7, verse 54. Acts 7, verse 54, page 1100. When the members of this court, the Sanhedrin, heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at Stephen. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see Heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he said this, he fell asleep. And Saul approved of their killing. It's brutal, isn't it? They gnashed their teeth at him, covered their ears, and pelted him to death with stones. And this spark lit a flame and a fire of persecution that that just swept through. Let's keep reading. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men um, buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. That was not part of the plan. It's such an intense flaring up of hatred against Christians that all the Christians apart from the apostles left Jerusalem. You only have Christians in Jerusalem at this point. Can you imagine it? People running home to their families. Quick, quick, we've got to go. We've got to leave right now. They're gathering in the streets. There's no time to pack. We've got to leave. And there's death for the church and they're deeply mourning Stephen one of their greatest most effective preachers he's dead he's in a tomb and you've got Saul going about like the Gestapo house to house knocking on the door do you follow Jesus do you belong to the way of the Nazarene seize him arrest her take them off to prison nobody plans to be persecuted like this Nobody plans to be martyred like Stephen. 
this was not part of the plan for the church. Now remember where we left it last week. Thousands of new Christians, the unstoppable spread of the word, the birth of the church in the city of Jerusalem. And you can imagine, they're just beginning to plan their first building purchase. You know, an all-singing, all-dancing center where they can train up pastors and send out gospel workers to Samaria and Judea and the ends of the earth. Stephen, their best player, their celebrity pastor, their best evangelist, filled with the Spirit, now he's dead. Nobody plans for this to happen. But did you notice where they were scattered to? From Jerusalem? They spread, verse uh, 1 of chapter 8, throughout Judea and Samaria. Do you remember back in chapter 1 at the beginning how Jesus said to his disciples, you are going to witness from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. Here's a map to help you picture it. There's Jerusalem, surrounding areas, Judea and Samaria. That's where Jesus said they would go and that's where they've gone. So let's see what happens as they spread out. Let's read from verse 4. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Persecution was not part of the plan. But look what happened because of the persecution. Those who had been scattered, what did they do? Preached the word wherever they went. This is the first major persecution of the church. They've just seen Stephen's bloodied body buried and Saul is set on destroying them. They could have gone, guys, that's it. It's over already. This whole church thing is not going to work. You know, if, if, if people aren't going to accept the Messiah in Jerusalem... It's not going to work anywhere else. But that's not how they react. They don't let the disruption of their plan disrupt faithfully witnessing wherever they find themselves. They preached the word wherever they went. Ordinary Christians, not just the, the teachers. And so in God's plan, the gospel is going from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria. It's just not happening how the church would have planned it. So Philip went to Samaria and he preached the Messiah. He did incredible things and, and the, the kingdom of Jesus was demonstrated and tasted. And did you see the result for this city in verse 8? There was great joy in the city. It's great joy. And we get the kind of bird's eye perspective as readers but we know that if the persecution hadn't broken out in Jerusalem, joy wouldn't have come to this city. In God's plan, deeply violent and horrible persecution actually spread the joy of Jesus. And it's brilliant because they were trying to stamp out the church, pushing them out of Jerusalem. But what did it do? It, it spread the church. In God's plan, joy kept advancing. And there's more spread of joy of the gospel. Um, look down to verse uh, 14. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. And they basically, they go and see, see what's happened. So Samaria has accepted the gospel. That's what's happened already. They've accepted the gospel. 
And then in verse 26, we're not going to read the whole story, you get um, the angel of the Lord saying to Philip, go to this particular road, and he meets um, an Ethiopian eunuch, and he shares the gospel with this Ethiopian who becomes a Christian, and then he goes off on his way, taking the gospel with him to, like, beyond the Nile. So you see the gospel spreading again and again, and then we finish chapter 8, turn over the page, Chapter 8, verse 40, we get more spread of the word, more preaching. Philip, however, appeared in Azotus and traveled about. What did he do? Preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. So the Ethiopian takes gospel joy off beyond the Nile. Philip preaches in all the towns he can find. Persecution wasn't part of the plan. But in God's plan, can you see what has happened? It's just unleashed gospel joy outside the walls of Jerusalem, bringing joy and hope to more and more towns and cities who otherwise would never have heard. Now really, this suffering for joy thing is nothing new. You might remember, if you've read the Bible a bit, uh, Peter's reaction when Jesus says to Peter and the other disciples, I'm going to go and die on the cross. And Peter basically says, no, 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 Jesus, that is not part of the plan. From a human perspective, the execution of the Son of God was was a disaster, not part of the plan. But actually, it was the heart of God's plan to bring joy to the entire world. It was not part of the plan, persecution. The other week, uh, when we were at Revive, uh, the weekend away we had... Um, Sam Gibb, Dan Thomas, and a, a lady from Hope Church Vauxhall were interviewed on the stage. Um, Hope Church Vauxhall is a church that we helped plant a year ago. Um, and, and they were asked about the death of Toby and Millie. So in the, in the first year of the life of the church, um, a couple who many of us know and love uh, died. And they were asked, um, how has this affected the church? And Sam said something that sits really closely with Acts 8. He said... We wouldn't have chosen this. This wasn't part of our plan to lose two of our most precious friends and core church members. But he said, even now, just a few months later, we can see how Jesus is advancing his plan, even through this tragedy, to bring the church together. And he said to bring people who otherwise wouldn't have actually heard the gospel, have heard it as a result of what happened. This was not part of the plan for them. But you know, Sam and Kevin, the church, they've done what the church in Acts 8 did. They haven't panicked. They haven't packed it in. They've been faithful where they found themselves. It's not where they would have chosen to be. But God has brought them there and they know it. And so they're just getting on with preaching the word. And in the plan of the Lord Jesus, you know what this will mean for Vauxhall? Joy. More joy in this city. And as we think about persecutions, I wonder what persecutions are coming our way in the United Kingdom. There's no doubt it is becoming harder to be a faithful Christian who is public about their faith in the UK. One of you once asked me if I thought we'd ever get imprisoned in the UK for being a Christian. What do you think? I have little doubt that that will probably happen one day. Don't worry, pastors will be first. Um, We're a long way off but I wouldn't be surprised if it happened. 
But the pressure will step up slowly. I think it will be things like charity laws that will squeeze us first, restricting what we can teach as a charity. Hiring rooms in places like schools or lecture theatres where we normally meet is going to get harder because they'll find the Bible to be an intolerant book contrary to the values of the organisations and we won't be able to hire a room anymore. I think those things are not far away. I think certain jobs, teachers, family magistrates, doctors, holding public office will become pretty much no-go places for faithful Christians one day. Really hard to be there. I don't think we're there yet, but if history is anything to go by, and it is, it's going to get harder before it gets easier. And so Acts confronts us and says, how are you going to react? Freak out or be faithful like they were. By God's grace, may we respond as these first Christians did. Wherever we find ourselves, wherever society places us, preach the word wherever we go. If we can't use a lecture theatre, we'll go somewhere else. If we can't be in this role in society, fine, we'll go somewhere else. We'll keep preaching and there will be great joy in this city. The best thing we can do for London, stay faithful, keep speaking. That's what's going to bring joy to this city. first thing. Persecution was not part of the plan. Next up, Saul was not part of the plan. The scene shifts towards the end of chapter 9, away from the spread of the word to, uh, sorry, the beginning of chapter 9, to this unsolved issue of this one dangerous man who we've had a brief glimpse of. Saul. Saul. Have a look at 9 verse 1. Meanwhile, while all this preaching is going on, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, which is another place up north, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, that is Christians, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. That's what Saul's doing. Saul. His name would have sent chills down the spines of Christians. Saul is coming. Saul is coming. If you heard a knock on your door, could it be Saul? This man is dangerous. His his, his murderous threats aren't empty. He's got permission. He's got authority to arrest men and women alike. See, Saul was a Jewish leader. He was a Pharisee. And he was deeply passionate about the Jewish religion and its purity. And he sees this Jesus sect as an abomination that needs violently quashing. Now later on, in Saul's own words, he says he was obsessed with persecuting Christians. That's what Saul says. Obsessed. The other day I watched the film Silence. I don't know if any of you have seen it. It's about the brutal persecution of Japanese Christians in the 17th century. And there's a character in this called the Inquisitor. And he was a man with great authority who would go from village to village, inflicting the most horrendous torture on Christians, making them step on a, on a picture of Jesus to demonstrate they're renouncing their faith, or spit on a crucifix or whatever it was. And, and the people were terrified of him because he was brutal. That's Saul. Saul later describes how he tried to force Christians to blaspheme. Deny Jesus or die. Let's read what happens to him. Verse 3. 
as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anything. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could not see anything. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In a nutshell, Saul meets Jesus. Remember, Jesus is alive and reigning. He's alive and active. Jesus is on the scene and he's brought murderous Saul to his knees. The Inquisitor meets the Lord. But I want us to focus in on what happens next because we get our next scaredy squirrel moment. Have a look at verse 10. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias! Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias, that's you, come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he's done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. In other words, are you sure, Jesus, Saul? Saul the Inquisitor. We are talking about the same Saul. He is not part of my plan. Him becoming some kind of Christian was not part of the plan. Jesus, he's here to arrest us, not join us. But the Lord Jesus' plan is different. Verse 15. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go! This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, The Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, he sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul wasn't part of Ananias' plan, but he is part of the Lord's plan to proclaim the name of Jesus to the Gentiles, to the non-Jews, to the world, and to Israel. And it's the Lord's plan that he's going to suffer for Jesus. Now remember how the church uh, responded when they were persecuted. What did they do? They were faithful and they got on preaching. Now do you see Ananias' response to the unthinkable thing that wasn't part of his plan? Faithful obedience. Verse 17, where he goes to the house. I just want you to imagine that. His hand ready at the door, ready to knock. Go on, Ananias. <laughs> it's all on the other side. Knock, knock. And he enters in. And there in a chair is the most dangerous man alive. 
But as Ananias looks closer, he, Saul looks kind of different, weak, humbled, he's blind. And Ananias finds himself reaching out his hands and he places them on his enemy. And listen to those words and feel the wonder of him say, Brother Saul. That's an incredible thing to say. Do you feel that? Brother Saul. Calling Saul a brother was not part of the plan. But now Saul is a brother. He's baptized. What happens next? Saul goes out preaching that Jesus is the Son of God. And people can't believe that it's Saul. Have a look at verse 21. They're like scaredy squirrel. This isn't part of the plan. Verse 21. All those who heard Paul preaching, Saul, were astonished and asked, Isn't he the man who caused the havoc in Jerusalem among those who call in his name? And, and hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Wait a minute. Saul the persecutors now? Saul the preacher? That wasn't part of the plan. By the way, Saul didn't become Paul when he got converted. It's just not what happens. Later on it goes, oh, by the way, he was also called Paul. It just happens. Anyway, as an aside. But here he is, he's preaching. And the result was God's unexpected plan to save and use Saul. Have a look at verse 31. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee and Samaria, enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, the church increased in numbers. Just a chapter ago, we wondered if we were seeing the end of the church because of Saul's persecution. And now we're seeing the growth of the church because of Saul's preaching. Well, that changed fast. Saul wasn't part of the church's plan, but he was part of God's plan. And the result in the hands of the risen Lord Jesus is more joy, more people hearing the good news. And there's lots more of Saul preaching and suffering and stuff to come. I can't wait for the fourth sermon in the end of ah, Acts. It's coming. But what a beautiful picture of, of him having an impact and the enemy becoming a brother. Let me ask us, is there anyone who, if they walked through the doors of this church, we would hesitate to go to like Ananias did? Really, Jesus? Are you sure you mean them? Maybe a particular person you know who you'd never dream would come to faith. Or per perhaps a certain kind of person that, that we would think twice about whether they could actually be saved. Sadly, the church can be classist, racist, sexist, homophobic, transphobic, and I mean that in the sense of being genuinely unwelcoming to any and every kind of person. The church can be like that. And to our shame, even if secretly in our hearts we can basically say, them becoming a Christian is not part of my plan. The Lord Jesus has different plans. The church is a place where we can reach out our hands to anyone, anyone who has repented and believed in Jesus and we can say without any reserve, brother, sister. See, the gospel is the greatest message of inclusion because you know whoever you are, whatever you've done, you are welcome in Jesus' church. 
And you might think today, I'm not part of God's plan. I'm not the kind of person he wants. But this tells us no one is beyond grace. No one's beyond forgiveness. No one's beyond transformation. And hear this, no one is beyond usefulness in the Lord's plan. I'm not part of his plan. Well, the story of Saul says, think again. The scene shifts at the end of chapter 9 and we have focus on Peter. And he ends up in a place by the sea, which sounds very nice. Uh, And here we're going to see the third unexpected thing, Gentiles. Gentiles were not part of the plan. So um, Peter's in a place called Joppa and we get set up then for chapter 10, our final scaredy squirrel, that's not part of the plan moment. Let's read chapter 10. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord, he asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now, send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. Everyone gets two names. He's staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants, a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa, where Peter is. So we've got Cornelius, a Roman centurion, God-fearing. He, in some way, kind of worships God, but he's not heard about Jesus. And very important, he is not a Jew. He's a Gentile, non-Jew. And um, up until this point point in the Bible, it is only Jews who've had a full, total access relationship with God. But God wants Gentile Cornelius to meet Jewish Peter But first, Peter's going to have to have his scaredy squirrel moments, okay? Let's read verse 9. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice um, spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times and immediately the sheet was taken back up to heaven. And then uh, just skip on, the, the, the people arrive, um, sent by Cornelius, um, and they say, um, the spirit says, go downstairs, you know, off you go. Uh, so verse 19, let's pick up from there. Um, While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. And off he goes with them. Now, did you see the, that's not part of the plan moment for Peter? God says, eat this food, but it includes all these animals which for Jewish people were unclean, not kosher. You were not allowed to eat. And Peter has this scaredy squirrel moment. That was not part of the plan. Surely not, Lord. Eating unclean food isn't what we do. But God's got other ideas. Verse 15 is the key. The voice spoke, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. That's the lesson. 
God is making things that were considered impure clean. And he's starting with food, but he is not finishing with food. So fast forward, Peter obeys the spirit, he doesn't hesitate, off he goes to Cornelius' house. And he enters a Gentile's house, which is unthinkable. Verse 27. While talking with Cornelius, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? Listen, Cornelius. Being here in this house with Gentiles was not part of my plan. It's actually against our customs. It's not in the Old Testament law, but it became a part of their customs. Okay? And God, though, seems to have some other plan. He showed me not to call, not anything, food, but any one unclean like you. It seems Peter has learned God's plan. No one is unclean. Gentiles, it seems, are being brought into the kingdom. Go down to verse 34. Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. I realize it's God's plan. It's God's way not to show favoritism. And Peter shares the good news of forgiveness through Jesus for all people. And Peter's buddies who are with him, they freak out and they get their scared squirrel moment. Um, Go over to verse uh, 44. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message, Gentiles. The circumcised Jewish believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. And Peter said, surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. So they, uh, they have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. These Gentiles received the Holy Spirit. And the other, the Jewish believers there, they just can't believe it. It's even coming on, on the Gentiles. God is living in them. That's not part of the plan, but it's God's plan. How do you think the rest of the Christians are going to react when they hear what's happened? Guess what? It's not part of the plan. Um, chapter 11, verse 1. The apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised Jewish believers criticized him and said, you went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. They are not happy, are they? Peter with his fellowship, with non-Jews. That's not part of the plan, Peter. That's not what we do. So Peter tells them the story of what's happened, that, that God has saved even Cornelius and his family and Gentiles. And guess what the result is? More joy. Look at verse 18. They listened to Peter. When they heard this, they have no further objections. And praise God, saying, ah, So then, even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. They get it. Hooray! More joy. More people can have life in Jesus. And the spread of the good news to Gentiles has started 
But this is just the beginning. Look at verse 19. Now those who've been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed, chapter 8, traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, non-Jews, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, i.e. this is Jesus' plan, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. So can you see now the full sweep of what has happened? How the tragic death of Stephen and the wild persecution that came from it has spread the word, spread spread not only to Jews but to Greeks to Gentiles and this is the Lord's doing and a great number have turned to Jesus do not hesitate Jesus said to Peter do not hesitate to go with them the spirit said and the spirit says to us this afternoon do not hesitate do not Hesitate to share the good news with all kinds of people. There is no place for prejudice in the church. There is no place for favoritism in mission. There is no place for small-mindedness only interested in our backyard. Why are there huge parts of the UK, even the world for that matter, with so few churches and some parts with absolutely shed loads of churches? There may be lots of reasons. It's complicated. But I think that one of them is probably favoritism. Generally, our plans involve sharing the good news of Jesus with people who are like us. It's easier. We favor what is comfortable to us. We favor people near us who we consider kind of to be insiders to us not outsiders. That's hard. But the Lord Jesus will have none of our narrow plans. There are no outsiders when it comes to the grace of Jesus. That's what we're learning. It is for anyone who will believe, which means we need to share it with anyone who will listen. And have a good dose of this to humble us. We often put ourselves at the center of God's plans. If, like me, you're not Jewish, we're not insiders. We're Corneliuses. I'm a Gentile. We are all, by birth, outsiders to the kingdom, if we're not Jewish. But Acts 10 is the culmination of centuries of God's plan to blow the doors of the kingdom of God wide open so that anyone, even Gentiles like you and me, can come in. We are outsiders who've been brought in. Persecution was not part of the plan. Saul was not part of the plan. Gentiles were not part of the plan. But with Jesus on the throne, they were all part of his plan for the spread of joy as the word went to more and more people. So let's finish by focusing in on the right response we should have to these scaredy squirrel moments. What would it look like in our lives if we responded like to, to the unexpected like the church did, like Ananias did, like Peter did, with faithfulness? 
This means that we need to be a lot more like a, a little sailboat than a cruise liner. I'm going to leave you with these images. Okay? A cruise liner ha- has a very set course. Off it goes. I'm sure it's more complicated than this, but they point in a certain direction and off they go. Off they go. Cruise liner. And they don't get blown off course if a gust of wind comes along. Off they go. Little sailboats are different. A big gust of wind comes along in a sailboat and whoof, off it goes. It just has to follow it. Which one of those feels safer? The cruise liner, right? If your life could be one of those boats, if the church could be one of those boats, the cruise liner would be the boat that we choose. But actually, we're much more like the little sailboat with the sails, the gust of wind that comes along and blows us around. But Acts teaches us this. The unexpected gust of wind in our sails has behind it, in control of it, the risen Lord Jesus. Who do you remember when Stephen was being killed, saw seated at the right hand of God? The gust of wind of persecution, of Saul, the enemy, becoming a brother, the gust of wind, of inclusion of all kinds of people in the kingdom of God, they were from heaven. They were from the risen Lord Jesus. And there may be things that you look back on in your life or in church life, and you say, you know what, that was not part of my plan. But I can see now how it was part of Jesus's. Remember those moments. Remember them so that when the next unexpected thing happens and the next unexpected person walks through the doors of the church, we can be ready to follow what Jesus is doing. And as a church, we can help each other in the that wasn't part of the plan moments. We can say things to each other like, I know that a a gust of wind in this direction was not part of your plan. But keep going and go with it. Be faithful along the way. Don't hesitate to share the gospel with anyone and just wait and see what Jesus might be doing in the unexpected. And we don't know what the Lord Jesus has for the Globe Church over the next few years. There will be unexpected gusts of wind along the way, some of them painful. Jesus will push us to spread the word to those we might be very hesitant to go to right now. But here's the question. Do we want to see our city filled with joy? Do we want to see the cities of the world filled with the joy of knowing Jesus? Then what we do is we follow the often surprising course that King Jesus has for us. And when we do that, preaching as we go, not showing favoritism, believing enemies can be brothers... The word will spread and joy will spread to the cities of this world. So let's pray to the risen Lord Jesus and ask that we will be faithful wherever we find ourselves. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, you are the risen and reigning King You are not dead, but you are alive, and you are the Lord. Which means you are Lord of the church. You are Lord of this church. You are Lord of us as individuals. We are not in control of our lives, and many of us feel that. We feel 
blown around by circumstances. But we praise you that there is no coincidence in your plans. There, is no, there are no accidents. There is only your big, great, perfect, good plan for more joy. Thank you that joy will come even through and after suffering. And I pray, please, that you'd help us to be a church who respond rightly to what you are doing, who don't hold so tightly to our plans that we're not able to go with what you are showing us are your plans. I pray, too, that you would make us a truly welcoming church. There wouldn't be a hint of prejudice here, not an ounce of favoritism, but genuine Christ-like love for everyone and anyone that the gospel and the joy of knowing you could go to more and more kinds of people. And we pray this for the glory of your grace. Amen.